0: Hello, this is Nathaniel Johnson, your Dungeon Master. We've been having some issues with the recording of this episode. They will be mentioned again later, but most importantly, we're not going to have a theme song at all in the episode. Hopefully that doesn't offend anyone. So with that said, let's get into initiative roll.
1: From the banks of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, wherever you're listening... You're listening to Initiative Roll, a Dungeon Master's Guide to Mastering Dungeons. I'm your host, Logan Johnson. And I'm your co host slash dungeon master, Nathaniel Johnson.
2: And I'm Olivia. You guys know me because I run the Instagram page.
1: Yee. Man, Olivia, I love your entrance. It's such a power move. Like, where I'm like, I'm your host. He's like, I'm your co host. And you're like, and I am Olivia. And I am here. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am here. <laughs>
2: the first yeah. time I'm on but I'm always in the background of everything you guys do yeah absolutely yeah. It,
1: doing great work over there and we're, we're super appreciative for for what you did so Nathaniel Olivia and you uh, are related somehow right yeah yeah um, we uh, we share a child <laughs> <laughs> Could you have said that any weirder?
0: Uh, Yes, I could have. I tried to think of a a way that wasn't as weird as some of the other ones running through my head.
2: And I'm Olivia Johnson. Yeah, exactly. Perfect,
1: perfect. Um, So, uh, obviously, we do have Olivia here as a guest today. Uh, Nathaniel, fill us in. What's going on?
0: So, what we're doing... um, Well, actually, I might turn the time over to Olivia here pretty soon. Yeah, I'm into that. But uh, we have some special stuff going on this episode. Uh, We are going to be talking about building characters and whatnot um, as part of the series we've been doing. But we have a very specific bent on that we want to take today with Olivia here. Do you want to talk to us about what's going on there?
2: So it is Women's History Month It is also the month where we celebrate all of the women activist movements that have happened throughout U.S. history. So we thought it was going to be a good idea to kind of talk about how women are portrayed in D&D and fantasy in general.
1: Yeah, and uh, for those who have been keeping score at home and have been involved in the fantasy scene for, you know, as long as it started to become mainstream popular, you know that in a lot of cases that hasn't historically been awesome um what (laughs) but we will be taking a look at, at some places where it's improved so so that's pretty exciting um so i guess go ahead and and let's let's take a walk through a little bit through the history of women in dungeons and dragons nathaniel i think you you it's either you or olivia knows the most about this it's not me uh so so take it away from here
2: I'll turn it over to Nathaniel. Um, yeah, so I, know I think <laughs> a lot of how I feel women are portrayed in D anD D, but he probably knows a little bit more of the history it, behind it. Well,
0: we'll post some pictures of the third edition <laughs> uh, monster manual and player's handbook, um, but uh, in contrast with fifth edition, um, and I'm just gonna say it: there's some pretty. Uh, skimpy, skimpy clothing going on there with the women. You don't really see it with the men, but you definitely see it with the women in 3rd uh, edition, at least. So, you know, yeah, that so was a
1: thing. <laughs> one of the things that, that you look at the history of fantasy or the history of the way that, that these kinds of hobbies and these kinds of plots have developed over time, um, especially in gaming in general, You'll notice that it's very common for a man to wear a cloak and some armor and like a nice, have a good strong sword and a shield, and like fortunately, the women have like magic bikinis that they can go into battle with and not take any damage. Oh yeah. Um, and beautiful. that's sort of been the way that things have been, the that women have been portrayed in games, uh, tabletop or otherwise, for a really long time. Um, And Dungeons & Dragons, sadly, was not an exception to this mold. In fact, uh, it had a little bit of of history in in setting that trope to an extent, um, because a lot of the early manuals were that
2: way. If you look at, even like Nathaniel said, the pictures in these books, they're very racially clad. They're not dressed appropriate to going into any kind of battle or adventure. (laughs) No, no, what are you talking about? (laughs) You could go but,
1: into some adventures with it, but not a Dungeons and Dragons one. <laughs> Let's just yeah. say it that way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, also the way that women are portrayed in wanting to play these, they're typically not allowed. But like the big, you have these guys are playing D and D, and the girls aren't. They're excluded. They're not allowed to play with the guys, um, and if they do want to be involved, they somehow have to play into that male fantasy to be involved.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, a, like I said, this is a problem with gaming in general. Um, and D&D is a great microcosm cause them to examine it where uh, a lot of these, air quotes, nerdier things became very much like boys clubs in a weird way. Um, obviously, this is far from the only problem with like gaming, but this is a big one that is fairly universal. Um, fortunately, Dungeons & Dragons is one of those places where we started to see steps and strides moving away from some of those toxic behaviors. Obviously, there's always a long way to go, but we've seen some changes. What's going on in the change side, Nathaniel? Um, well,
0: um, the first thing with the change side, in my mind, uh, can actually be summed up in a little bit of a joke. Um, I saw it somewhere on the internet, it said, girls, if a guy asks you to play this game with him, it's because he really wants to spend time with you, and you're a big part of his life. And he needs a healer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I never play the healer. (laughs) Which is,
0: like, this weirdly unfortunate trope that women are going to play the healers. Um... Which, fair, I should clarify that, that doesn't mean that a woman who wants to play the healer shouldn't, or, you know, that a guy who wants to play the healer shouldn't. It's just this weird stereotype that, oh, you're a woman, you're gonna be the cleric. And specifically, you're gonna be the life cleric, because you're the healer.
1: Well, there's something to be said about uh, the the trope, not just in games, but of women in general, as the the support character, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which is definitely not the way that it always has to be and definitely is not the way that it always should be. Um, People have different strengths and should be playing to those strengths in-game and in real life, right? Um, Some people are better at supporting others and some people are better at at taking the leadership role. Um, But like you said, even in just that joke, there's kind of an attitude of reflected of, like, obviously we don't need to – there's a trope for support and for healing – on the side of, of women in gaming and in general. Right. Uh,
0: now talking about the actual changes that have been made, uh, I will point out the first thing that I noticed with fifth edition that I went, huh, that's weird. Um, it's in the player's handbook and it's on the racial, uh, section and it's on the dwarfs page. And this is, this is where I kind of realized, Hey, this is going to be different. The picture of that, and we'll post a picture of this for people to be able to look at, but, uh, Normally, if you're going to show a picture of the race, you want to make sure that, like, people look at that and go, ah, that's what that is. And they do that pretty well. Uh, But this picture is not of a dwarf male, so there's no beard. It's of a dwarf woman. So outside of the context of the fact that she's a little short and a little stocky and carrying a warhammer, you wouldn't naturally go, that's a dwarf, like you would with the, you know, typical red-bearded viking helmet war axe dwarf Mm -hmm. and that's the first major changes they said hey we're gonna we're gonna show women in roles that they're not typically considered in lord of the rings the film trilogy has a great joke about there not being any female dwarves and because you can't tell them apart because of the beards um Mm -hmm. And D&D said, no, we're going we're gonna to make sure that women know they can play dwarves, and that they can play this and this, and really, whatever. We're going to let anyone play whatever they want to.
2: I also like that when you look up half-orcs, you can find pictures of half-orc women now. It's not just for men to be a half-orc or a barbarian. You can play those as a woman. And, like, in um, one of the campaigns, I'm playing a paladin, which goes towards men generally more than women. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a commentary to be made here. Um, In the early days of D&D, the game very much, very quickly for a lot of people became about escapist fantasy, um, which is a whole thing to unpack (laughs) all on its own. Um, (laughs) But part of the difficulty that that created is that it helped foster this escapist Mm -hmm. idea where Men were over-strengthened and women were over-sexualized. Um, but even just small changes like the imagery of how characters are illustrated or portrayed versus how they're actually how they actually exist in the book, when it comes to creating characters and the flexibility to create different backgrounds that aren't necessarily contingent upon gender, uh, which is what we'll be talking about a little bit more today. Uh, there's a lot of options for everybody to play this game. And everybody to play it in a way that's a little bit more normal and a little bit more healthy for all, uh, which I really like. Uh, we've seen some great steps here into making this a really accessible and, and good hobby for everybody.
2: Half of us are women, if you count our child. You know, she's not playing with us yet, but
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: we have a good mix of male and female players, which balances our campaigns. I feel more than male centric cam- uh, campaigns do.
1: Mm -hmm. there's something to be said here as well for um the fun that is added by playing video games or board games or any games with women and men um not to say that there is like an like what i'm not trying to say here is like oh make sure you bring like token women what i'm saying is that like the more varied your group is the more fun you're gonna have And so I don't understand why people would want to restrict that by saying, like, no, 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 (laughs) please. Why (laughs) chromosomes only? Thank you very much. Um, In fact, on a personal level, when I discovered that around, when it came to video games, when I discovered that around 50% of the video game purchasing audience was female, I was, like, angry (laughs) because I've never gotten along well, super well with guys. Um, And so it's super important to me that there's this good varied group of people that you play with. Um, across kind of all walks of life and all, including all genders. Um, So I'm glad to see Dungeons & Dragons making steps in that direction.
0: Yeah, and I think one more note that's worth throwing out there, because again, this is the artwork, and I think that's really important, because I'll say this. 3rd edition always referred to character creation in female terms. It always said her or she whenever referring to character creation, Um, which I thought was a weird way to be inclusive, but, you know, whatever, it worked. Um, But with the artwork, there was still all of that, you know, skimpiness. Um, And in the Monster Manual, specifically, there was a good half dozen, maybe a dozen specific illustrations that I could easily go and find that's like, hey, this is skimpily drawn, this is skimpily drawn, this one's full nudity, you know, so on and so forth. Um, And it's all women, it's never men. And then Mm -hmm. looking in the modern Monster Manual the only one that I would, like, even sort of label as, oh, yeah, like, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of skimpy, that's kind of, you know, not dressed, is the harpy monster, which is literally a naked hell demon. <laughs> like... <laughs> right. And, and so, like, it's not supposed to be an attractive sexy, it's supposed to be a grotesque nudeness. And that's the only one, compared to, like, even, like, the succubus and incubus in there, are, like, dressed. And... Okay don't evoke immediate thoughts of sexual gratification.
1: Right. And I think that there's an important distinction to, to be made here in the sense that, you know, if you are playing a Dungeons & Dragons character and you want that character to be a little promiscuous, that's fine. The game allows for that. Right. But what we're saying here is the problem is the way that previous editions of Dungeons & Dragons handbooks would objectify the female body. Um, As opposed to just, like, say, like, oh, yeah, and this character also, like, goes around with, like, a low-cut dress all the time. All the time. (laughs) Uh, It's a very different different distinction in what's being said and what's being communicated. It's less about a particular character and more about an entire subset of the human race. So that (laughs) sucked. (laughs) Okay, but let's say things are, are going well. And like our campaign, you've decided to create a varied player base. And now you're going to help create player characters Um, we're going to talk a little bit about continue a little bit on what we're talking about here with with women in dungeons and dragons um, but we're also going to take a a bit of a dive into what we've been aiming toward with how can we get players started how can we help create characters and we're going to do that by talking about player backgrounds Um, so once you have those players what's the next step once you've started rolling ability scores picked races and classes and so on where do you go from there?
2: You give them an orphan story.
1: <laughs> you give them an orphan story.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Olivia, how many orphan
1: stories have you played?
2: Um, I'm currently playing one, but it's half orphan because she oh, yeah, that's just right. doesn't know her dad. <laughs> Everybody else has full family figures.
1: <laughs> <laughs> True.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I,
1: you, you know we joke, like, give them an orphan story, like... Make them the chosen one. Leave them on a stoop somewhere, you know? (laughs) But that is part of the Dungeons & Dragons set of options.
2: Well, part of playing D&D is you are playing a fantasy. You want it to be as different from your reality as you can make it if you want to. So I'm not an orphan. I have an enormous family. So that's a little bit of a challenge for me to play that background. But I like it.
1: Hmm. well I think one of the benefits that that can offer to you is that you get to play in a little bit of a different headspace right or at least you get to try to um that was part of the reason that when we did the live play I chose to play uh Ariel Lucas who was a female character it's really important to me that in a, even just in a party even though we were playing with a group of all guys it was important to me that we had like some kind of representation there some kind of way and also a way that I could try and Play a character that I maybe thinks differently than I would, right? Um, because that's like the power of Dungeons and Dragons—that when you create a different character with a different backstory and different way of thinking, you have an opportunity to shift your perspective a little bit, even if it's just for a game. Right. And with that, there are two
0: important parts to the background, um, when it, at least coming from the DM's perspective, helping a character um, be created. The first is the background has to make sense in your world. You can't just be like the person can't just be like, and I want to be a princess. I mean, technically they can be, but they need to work with you and be like, okay, like how is that going to work? You know, what sorts of uh, what sorts of benefits is that going to come with? What sorts of baggage is that going to come with? Um, or maybe in some cases, just say, yeah, that's not going to happen in this world for whatever reason. Um, but then also, you need to help them get a good mechanical advantage out of it you need to help them so oh you're a barbarian Uh, being a i don't know what's a being a former doctor doesn't
1: really help with
0: that and so sure
1: but in some ways i disagree with you because any background is going to give them skills sure right so just because it, it maybe not be the ones that it won't be the one that min-max them the most, it can give them a big spread. Um, so like I agree with you to a degree, but at the same time I think that you it's important to note that you know if they want to be a former doctor who's gone barbarian for some reason, oh sure, they definitely can do that, um, and there will be mechanical benefits either way. Yeah, no, and I, I think you're
0: absolutely right there. That is an important point. I guess what I'm trying to say is make sure that they understand all the varying options and how maybe one background in the player's handbook differs from another one, how the sage differs from the hermit, so that they know why they're going to pick what they're going to pick. Um, but more important than that, I feel like, is the backstory. Why did they leave that background behind and choose to become a whatever it is that they are? how you use your background and your backstory in making your character and treating your various characters.
2: So the character that I'm playing currently in the Quieting Campaign, Laura Dove, who I'll go back in to her in more detail in the character corner, but in that campaign, she is very cynical towards the government. She feels the government was the reason that she was orphaned at a young age, had her mother taken from her. And why she doesn't know her father. And she... Um, she's using that backstory to... in that background to build her current story. And so when I work with her and I level her up, I'm looking at what is going to play into the overall story that I want her to have. How is it going to tie into what I've already established as her background. And when I level up, I'm I'm working with that. And so my character feels to me like a person and not just a hodgepodge of pieces that are stuck together and because you think one thing is more interesting than something else, you need to look at when you create a character that they grow like you do. You don't jump from one crazy experience to the next, you have growth in that character and right. so she hates the government. What is she going to do now? She's trying to start a rebellion. But there is a lot of personal growth and established stuff in between that that is making it possible for that to happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. And I really like what you said about how your characters aren't just, you know, one thing they're not just one drive or one ambition i remember we played a campaign once where it was a a post-apocalyptic campaign and one of the quirks that i gave my character was that he was like really into star wars but because it was post-apocalyptic he only had like one star wars novel that was like a han solo related book and he had like a broken lightsaber toy and that kind of thing and none of that had any impact on play but let's be real like people, especially young people, go yeah. through yeah. phases. <laughs> you, you, get really in, you get really into Star Wars, right? Like that just happens. Um, the same is true with, you know, as you design a character, you'll pick things that are important. You'll also pick things that are less urgent, but that give your character a depth and a flavor. Um, one of the things that we have right now is uh, in, in the quieting campaign, we have a character who's on the side playing as a gladiator and like doing gladiator challenges in this fighting ring in the city that we're in, and that's nice because it's like, it's like, oh yeah, they're quests. They go on quests and they like rob noble people and they're like trying to help with this like big governmental shift. But like on the side, they're they're also in the boxing ring, you know? Um, and it just adds a depth there that I think, like you said, once you start assembling more than just the important bits, really makes your characters become more real and come.
2: To and life. it helps you know where you want to take them in the future. So you can work with your DM and make sure that your the way that you ideally want your character to grow can happen in this campaign, in this world that they've created. Like Nathaniel said, you can't just be like, Mm -hmm. I'm a princess if it's not going to work with the DM's goal for the story that he has.
1: Right. So Nathaniel, for the DM's part, when a character comes to you with ideas and with plans, what do you do as a dungeon master to make sure that that facilitates well in your campaign and facilitates well for um, the players? Well, that's a—that's actually a really tough question because
0: <laughs> it's literally the whole. Yeah. That's the whole dungeon master. <laughs> when your thing, players come to you with something that you <laughs> don't necessarily job. agree with, how do you how do you smooth things over? Uh, no, but in all seriousness, um, it's kind of a combination of things. Um, slight spoiler for the future of my campaign that will be running here in a few weeks um, when Greg goes on his break so that he can prep the third season of Quiet Itting. Um, We have Nolan who joined us, and Nolan wants to play a character in my campaign. He hasn't been in my campaign at all yet, so he needs to make a new character, and he wants to make a uh, red-haired barbarian from the Highlands who talks with a Scottish accent which I don't think I pulled off trying to do that there. But he, he has this very, very specific concept that he wants to play. And um, I am basically morally opposed to multi-classing. I think that it almost never works out in the player's benefit, and it almost always makes the game harder without providing the benefit you would want it to. And so he's like, I wanna play this I wanna play this Scotsman essentially. I wanna play somebody who wears a kilt and plays bagpipes, and I think that's a great idea. The question was how to make that happen. And so I've started looking at the various things in the player's handbook, because we haven't made his character yet, but we've started working on it. And there are ways to give him bard spells without taking a level in bard. And there are ways to make him so that he can use the bagpipes for things. And I could even give him a magical item that does some of the things he would want it to do. I can do all of this behind the scenes and make his character without having to delve into this thing I don't want to do, which is multi-class.
1: Right, right. There are ways to accomplish the goals what they that they want to do with their character without necessarily having to bend to their every whim. And I think that's where an understanding of the rules becomes so important, right? Because the only reason you're able to accomplish those kinds of things is because you know exactly what kind of magic item you can give them. You know exactly where you can send them and what you can have them do without necessarily having them go the multi-class route. So
0: I at least now want to kind of move into mixing a couple of the things we've been talking about. So we've talked about background and backstory and working with our players and... Class and race, and all that we've talked about that over the past couple of episodes. So, I guess the question is how do the two of you, and I can chime in on this as well, but what's the best way to help somebody pick the best character for them, particularly somebody who's unfamiliar with the game?
2: I think when you start off, you don't know what you want to be. I used to start off playing what was it a cleric druid or, I, think. I yeah I started playing druid and mm-hmm. d and was rough for me I wasn't enjoying it as much as I thought I would or as much as Nathaniel wanted me to enjoy D&D and then I started playing as a ranger and it just clicked with me and so when you are introducing somebody to D&D you have to go over what the different classes are the different races and make sure that they're not a, an exact opposite to how the character views fantasy, how the character views themselves, and how that person may or may not be comfortable in role playing that. I won't ever be comfortable yelling magic spells like some of our other characters, but I can shoot arrows and that's fine. And it puts me in certain places, in our order, in the way that we in our, in our marching orders that I like, because I don't want to go first, but I don't also want to be stuck, left behind. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think one of the important things to notice with Dungeons and Dragons is that there are three types of creativity that players will often engage in. With dungeons and dragons and this ties in really well with what you were saying olivia i i think there's a a magical creativity there's a physical creativity and there's a social creativity and based on kind of what people do and how they interact it's easy to say okay certain classes work well for you for example olivia a lot of the times that your character does things they're really cool physical things that happen right And that's facilitated by the fact that you're a ranger, that you can take the tricky shot, that you can do the cool flip or the cool thing or the cool movement, right? Because your character class and the high dexterity that's involved there facilitates that. Whereas somebody who's a wizard and wants to do a really cool illusion magic or a really cool spell casting, and that kind of creativity is going to need a different character class than ranger to facilitate that, right? Those people who are more looking for oh, how can I make this as bombastic as possible, as dynamic as possible with magic? Those people are going to want to be a magic class. People who are looking to get creative in social situations have to be bards um, or maybe a rogue. Um, and those three different creativities are, I think, what drives Dungeons & Dragons. So understanding what works well for your players and what they're going to try and do. If you have a fighter who's constantly trying to say, like, oh, and then I use my magic item, and then I try to like do this, or I try to smooth talk the guy they should be remapped to a character that will help facilitate the things that they're trying to do more than than what they I mean, have been
2: doing kind of going off of that when we think of fantasy i'm sure we all immediately have something different pop into our mind i know nathaniel thinks mm-hmm. of wizards and epic adventures and lord of the rings where i think of elves and i think of like quiet music and rivers you know and forests those are kind of different right takes on fantasy
1: whereas i think of like when i like think like oh what's who's your favorite fantasy character like it's probably hal from hal's moving castle which is again a completely yeah. different and when aesthetic, you create a
2: character right? you need it to fit your aesthetic because that's what you know
1: <laughs> i'm sorry logan i just pictured you
0: on the other end like life isn't worth living anymore <laughs> if i can't be
1: beautiful <laughs> Yeah, and <laughs> literally think yeah. about it though. that's every character i've ever played you in play dungeons How? and dragons <laughs> even my uh even bethany my fighter in your campaign nathaniel would very likely say it's not worth living if i can't be beautiful <laughs> like yeah. that's a thing <laughs> um, which i
0: think that this discussion of what your view of fantasy is plays also very heavily into race um I, I'm a huge believer that, particularly for new players, you should give them as many benefits as possible, which oftentimes means mechanical. So if somebody's like, no, I think I want to play the Barbarian, then I'm going to recommend one of three classes to them. And that's going to be Human, because humans are just the bread and butter of d and um, Dwarf, or Half-Orc. And I'm going to be like, hey, these are your three that are going to make being a barbarian really fun. Now, while somebody can be, like, a gnome barbarian, and that could be a really fun thing, it's also not what I'm going to recommend for a first-time player because, you know, it kind of goes against most people's regular concepts of fantasy and doesn't help them as much mechanically. And I think the game is, you know is really fun to try all these new and weird combinations out, but you need to have kind of a baseline when you're starting
1: off that you can work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the difficult things of Dungeons & Dragons that you alluded to, Olivia, is that this all happens with time. Right. With what? Like, you didn't realize yeah. with time. Like, you started playing Druid and didn't know that you didn't want... To play druid until yeah. later. <laughs> Unfortunately, often your first character is not your favorite, right? My first character in Dungeons and Dragons was a cleric. Same here. I have <laughs> never played cleric oh, since. Like <laughs> it just—it's not my class. I can't picture either um, of you playing
2: cleric, honestly. Uh,
0: what were our names? Mine was josantin the human cleric of Pelor.
1: Yes, and I was Eberk, who worshipped Moradin, god of dwarves. That's right. That's so, right. oh my. And Joshua was Eberp. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's right. Who also worshipped the god of dwarves. Also was a lion. <laughs> the picture he drew, He the picture Joshua drew of Eberp was a lion. <laughs> it was not a person. This, I don't, I don't think he knew how the game worked. So,
2: this is something that I do when I create a character, and I don't know if this is just a girly girl thing that I do, but... There's those online dress-up games, and I will go and find one where I kind of feel fits the aesthetic and create my character. Because I need her face in my mind, not just her characteristics and her character sheet. I need to kind of have a face to associate it with. In the book, you get these character descriptions.
1: Right, and I've seen some of the things that you've pulled out of those character creators that you've been using, and it's been really, really cool. So I think to summarize some of the thoughts that we've been over, there's a fine balance that you have to walk as a dungeon master between letting your characters run wild and understanding the rules and help temper what they're trying to do. Um, The more creativity that you can encourage in creating a background and even, like you said, Olivia, in physically creating an image of their character, the better off you're going to be. Most importantly, don't be afraid to experiment. Often they're not going to get their favorite character in their first try. So if a character says, like, oh, I'm not feeling the fighter anymore, don't feel bad, like, getting rid of that character and letting them just try something different, even if it, like, breaks campaign flow just a little bit. What's most important is that they have fun with the character they're playing and and where they're at and what they've created. Final piece of advice for this segment,
0: I would say, particularly if you're playing with new players, just have some pre-made character sheets ready to go that if they really feel uncomfortable with creating their own character, you could be like, well, here's half a dozen or so that you can pick from that give you a general spread of the game.
2: I think when you do that, you have to allow them to create their backstory. You have to give them a structure, but allow them freedom as well when you do that.
1: Mm -hmm. And the important thing to remember is, when it comes to what you expect there, you don't necessarily need to say, like, okay, your backstory has to be 45 pages long, right? Because you're going to have players that write two paragraphs. And it's important just to know as a dungeon master that that's what you have and that's what you work with. And there are still ways to make it fun, whether they give you more or less. Welcome
0: to the Beggar's Corner. This is a little bit of an unusual setup. It's getting to see a little bit behind the curtain here. We had some insane audio problems and we couldn't figure out how to fix them so there was about six minutes of audio that we had to re-record and just fix unfortunately logan was unable to be here for that so he was there for the original time we did the beggar's corner but he won't be this time and there's also a couple of minutes of other audio after the beggar's corner that he will not be there for as well but at some point he's just going to jump back in the audio because we'll have the audio fixed so if it's a little off or a little weird we are so sorry about that we're hoping that it works out pretty well otherwise but you know what do you do we do still have olivia here
2: hey guys <laughs> so this is a lot and ladies
0: <laughs> and ladies because that's what this episode is about uh with that said, we're going to go over the contact info again. You can reach us at initiativeroll.blogspot.com and role at gmail.com. Roll in both cases is spelled R-O-L-E. And then we also have two social media pages. Do you want to talk about those?
2: We are. We right now have a Instagram and a Twitter. Um, I'm not in charge of the Twitter, but no. I'm going to start picking that one up. But yep. Uh, I post really frequently over on Instagram about the episodes, episode links. I post things that we talk about inside the episodes and pictures that we take while we're playing. Just
0: Yep, yep. and there's all sorts of stuff that goes up there. Yep. And both of those, you can find them at initiative underscore role. Yes. R-O-L-E. Uh, that being said, we did have a Twitter poll, so... Unfortunately, it's too late to vote on that, but keep your eyes peeled for future Twitter polls, and I believe the only thing left is the character dedication.
2: Yeah. Um, So, I'm dedicating this episode to a character by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia's Lucy Pensive. She really, growing up, inspired me to always believe in a fantasy land. No, you can never really outgrow that. No, as you... is evidenced by us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're we're getting a little bit older in life than Lucy was, and uh, we definitely still play in our own fantasy lands, and it's an important part of our lives.
2: Yeah, never lose that imagination that you have.
0: Great. So to Lucy Pensive.
2: To Lucy Pensive.
0: Thanks for joining us during that short break into the Beggar's Corner. We're going to go ahead and go right into the Character Corner, the second of our four corners that we have this episode. Yep, that's right. We've got four of them. Um, Now, the Character Corner, we're going to be focusing on Olivia's character, Laura Dove, from Greg's campaign, uh, Quieting Under the Watch.
2: Yes. um,
0: So go ahead. Tell us about her.
2: So Laura Dove, she is a half-elf ranger. Um, I have a lot of fun playing a ranger, so I'm typically winning towards that in a lot of the campaigns that we play, even one-shot ones. Um, She is kind of disenfranchised with the government. She doesn't like the Empire all too much. She blames them for being orphaned at a young age. She hasn't really had a family because of that, but because she grew up in an orphanage and on the streets. She's learned to make the other thieves and the people that she's around, the, her company, into her family. So she's trying to have the players kind of fill that sibling role in her life, with the exception of Fear, of course. And Who she just flirts with incessantly. Yes. Well, when the character's played by your husband, that's like the <laughs> only way to go with that one. But she... She doesn't have a family, which is kind of interesting for me to play. It's very different from my own family. I have an enormous family, and I can't even imagine not having anybody. So that's kind of an interesting aspect for me to try and play, to pretend that I don't have those relationships that I have now. Um, She is working with the underground thieves, and she is working with the thieves in in London. Lundis.
0: Whichever one. I always get the two confused. Yeah. One is the governor and one is the city.
2: Yeah.
1: she. I think Lundis well, is She's city.
2: working with the Thieves Guild in Lundis to start a rebellion to kind of disrupt the government in the area. She's not from this area of the world, but she lives there now and so she feels like she's invested in it and she's seeing these orphans. She's working with them. She's um <clears throat> working in the underground, she's going to, I think next campaign we're going to be robbing the Coliseum, which is something that she really wants to be doing. She wants to take down all these big government things that they're doing, how they're pushing people out of the cities, into work camps and shanty towns. She's not happy with this. And so she's just trying to find her place in the world right now.
0: Yeah, and one of my favorite things about that character is uh, how often she both flirts with and l- gives no, like, leeway to my character, Fear. She just shamelessly flirts with him in front of everyone. And my character plays it off as, this is uncomfortable. And uh, <laughs> Right. And then also, like, whenever he does dumb things, she gives him no time to explain himself.
2: <laughs> and that just must be our relationship, honestly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sure. I think what's really interesting about Loredove is the way that in some ways she reflects your personality, but in other ways uh, she reflects a completely new and unique character. Uh, like you alluded to, the the family situation for Laura Dove versus you could not be more different.
2: Yeah, I have, what is um, it, 17 siblings or something? I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you've
2: got a lot of them, yeah. um, um,
1: IRL. And so I think that it really it lends a lot to to kind of her character growth, this fact that you do have to step a little bit outside of your, like, your regular experience, um, and I think that that is what makes the character so strong and so unique and so And if
2: I could tie that back to how women play D&D is women don't want to be flat characters. So even if you're creating an NPC or create, working with somebody to create a character that's a woman, make sure that they're not a flat, boring character where all it is is their looks or one plot point that's them. That doesn't make mm-hmm. a good character. So when I'm creating her, I'm working off of building her step by step. She um, is a gloom stalker, plays into her being a half-elf, and plays into her being working in the underground she needs those abilities and so when i'm creating her i'm looking at those abilities that will best help her story progress
1: right and what the benefit of that is that you as a player are engaged in the campaign um and not like to a small degree which i'll be honest olivia when when we first started playing dungeons and dragons a little over two years ago um yeah it was wild It was a while ago, guys. (laughs) Uh, Almost, it was probably actually right around two years ago um, that we started playing. You, I remember you expressed some trepidation, and I'll be honest, I never thought that you would be into the game as much as you are. And I think that a big part of the reason why you ended up hitting it off so strong with this game is that your characters are strong and that you relate to them and you're able to interact with the world in a way that really works and is really powerful.
2: Yeah, that's something that I've tried really hard my characters in the past have been kind of flat, not fun to play. Now my new characters, I'm constantly thinking of where, what do I want this person to do? If I were her, how would I respond? How would I move forward? What would I even do on my time off? These are the things that I'm thinking of to create a character.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think that ultimately, if there's a way that Dungeon Masters can encourage that, that that's what gives characters their most strength. Um, and that's what, what Lardov has going for her right now. Um, and that's why I think it was important that we talk about her, because she's such a strong strong character as a result of the time that you've put into her. Yeah.
0: That being said, we do have a fan question, which uh, backtracks a little bit on our show. This comes from Dungeon Master Sean. And it is, how did you prep, and this is specifically for me, how did you prep the Eberron one-shot? And there's some more clarification on there, like how many NPCs did you make and so on and so forth. Um, I don't think we need to spend too long on this, but uh, this is, I think, a fair question. I actually spent a lot of time prepping for it. I uh, tried to write the whole thing out, and I frankly wasn't able to because I realized that if I tried to, it would be like a 200-page book. And so what I did is I just did some rough sketches of maybe, oh, I don't know, a dozen or so NPCs. And then I only used a couple of them. And then the rest I just made up on the fly for the setting. But I've played in that setting a lot. So I kind of knew what I was doing with it, what kinds of NPCs I would expect. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I spent several hours crafting the story and another hour or two crafting NPCs and then trusted myself to be able to improv the other NPCs in the city.
1: Right, right. So as you went through and you created that world, what was kind of your design philosophy, like your your ethos, as it were, as it came to theming? Because, you know, a lot of the characters in that world seem to be tied relatively loosely through kind of the overall narrative thread. Was there a particular theme of characters that you were trying to make? Um, we encountered a lot of characters who were a little bit moody, uh, one who was helpful ish until they weren't spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then one character who was really distracted, um, all the time were, were some of the main NPCs. What was the design process of that? Like, why did you decide to make some of those decisions?
0: I wanted to make it as much of a stereotypical murder mystery event as possible. And so I wanted people, I wanted the gruff police chief, who I already had from previous adventures, um, and then I wanted anybody who might be able to give information who wasn't a member of the police in some way, or connected to them, to be as standoffish as possible, because, you know, I don't want them to be giving the players information willingly. It's a murder mystery. People don't just give information in TV shows. And if they do, they're usually the killer trying to throw them off. Um, sure. And so, and then, of course, I wanted the medical examiner. That was like a, a must-have. Must-have the weird, quirky medical examiner who's just kind of, nobody knows what to make of him. He's the guy who plays with the dead bodies. Sure.
1: Quirky Emmys are a, a favorite trope of yours, I think, since uh, Waldo Butters. I do love house, Waldo Butters. Right? He'll probably get an episode <laughs> dedication at some point. The quirkiest medical examiner of all time. Mm, I might fight you on that. There's the one in Psych. Oh, Woody the Coroner.
0: You're right. Oh, man. But no! See, I told you, though. You love quirky MEs, though. (laughs) This is a trope. I I would say that you could probably go to any successful murder mystery show that has a recurring ME character in it, and they're going to be weird. They're just going to be a quirky human being. Right. Um... But yeah, that's kind of what I did for my process.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like uh, most of your time was spent making the plot. There, yes. Which I think is, is the focus, that if you feel confident in your ability to improvise, Im- I almost said it, improvise, that's not how that word is, that's not how that one goes. <laughs> you have to be confident in your ability to improvise, but if you are, creating the plot and then a couple of those key NPCs can be a perfectly fine way to make an adventure. Yeah.
0: Um, I think we're almost out of time for the show today. We've got one last thing to hit on, though, that is really important. We had a poll up on Twitter, uh, our cartographer corner. And dun, 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 dun. we got we a perfect three-way split on the vote for it.
1: I'll go ahead and... Because there's only three voters. Because there were only get three on voters. That,
2: <laughs> listeners.
1: Watching it. it is so funny. It was like the end of... Well, not the end, but the beginning of cars when they get in the three-way tie. That's how I felt about this Twitter poll wait no no cars fans mean, out there huh? do you mean the end or do you mean the <laughs> i mean the beginning when they get tongue-tied gotcha because he yeah. sticks his tongue out at the <laughs> they end they get the, tongue-tied The raid. that's what the headlines say i could talk for hours about how that movie has like clever little things hidden in it that's uh, oh man well hit me up on my cars fan cast <laughs>
2: <laughs> please don't ever start a cars fan <laughs> cast
1: Yo, Loki, I bet Sid and I could do a pretty good Disney fan cast. I'm sure
2: you guys could, but I don't think we need that right yet. (laughs) I don't
1: think the world needs that.
0: (laughs) Anyway, back to the poll. I'm going to go ahead and read the question and the three results that we got. I said, what kind of dungeon should we build for our cartographer's corner? And there's dragon, goblins, undead, and we got one vote for each of those. So I guess we're going to be building an undead goblin dragon dungeon.
1: Yo, I'm into it.
0: I think the idea
1: that we will be building undead dragons that are being ridden by goblins or escorted by goblins or accompanied by goblins is just going to be good.
0: Now, we do already have kind of some of the lore behind the dungeon crafted out, and we've got some of the how we're going to mix that all together... Uh, We do need some actual names of things, and we do need the actual dungeon layout, traps, puzzles, encounters, so on and so forth. But I think you guys will appreciate the backdrop for it. The backdrop for it is that a long time ago, a very powerful dragon, he came and he said to himself, you know what? I want to live forever. I'm going to make myself into a draco lich, which is essentially just a lich except for a dragon. Um, however, this process is very dangerous for a dragon. Among other things, they have to trust other beings, usually a cult that follows the dragon, and they have to drink poison that the dragon, you know, has to trust them then that the cult is going to use a spell to capture their soul after they die from drinking poison and store it in a phylactery or a little special gem to hold their soul in, essentially, and as long as their soul is in that, then they can reanimate their corpse and use their corpse as if it was a dragon. But it basically becomes skin and bones at that point. No muscle, no blood, nothing.
2: That's terrifying.
0: Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah, that's that's messed up. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> cool, cool. we're not done because the problem is powerful dragons are way too powerful for a level one party to face. So one of the other things that can happen is if that body is destroyed, the Dracolich can inhabit the body of another dead uh, dragon. So in this case it's inhabiting the body of a dead uh, dragon wormling. I believe a brass dragon is what we're planning so that it breathes fire. So it'll be an undead skeletal brass dragon that breathes fire, um, guarded by a bunch of goblins that if the players defeat it, it won't die because it'll just go back to its phylactery. And so That can be used as a later villain throughout your campaign.
1: Ooh. Okay, so yeah, we haven't discussed super in-depth what we're going to be doing here, uh, but it sounds like you've got some good ideas, and I'm very excited to get into the building of this and and see what we can make as far as a a fun first dragon uh, for our first official cartographers.
0: This will be for level 1 players, and once we have it up, we will let you know through our various social media outlets, and it will be free to use.
1: I lost you. Sorry, I didn't want to say anything, um, but I can't hear you at all. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're you're back. in. Okay. We're gonna be putting that up on
0: our social media pages. though it's ready, and once it's ready, it will be free for anyone who wants to to use it. Maybe we'll eventually yeah. do paid content in the future, but for now, we're
1: we're writing that free trade. <laughs> Literally, we got three Twitter votes on our poll. I don't think we should start asking people for money. We can't. Once we start getting people here for free, speaking of which, tell your friends. Uh, feel free to use the hashtag initiative rule when, when communicating. Uh, honestly, we don't do anything to advertise this show, so anything that you can do to rate, review, or, or push out the word is helpful to us. I think we're a five-star cast, but that's not for me to call. Um, but yeah, so... Ultimately, all that content will be available and, and free to use because we're right now really just trying to grow our audience. And one last thing, when we do hit
0: 100 uh, followers on Instagram, we will be doing a small giveaway. So uh, if you are interested in being involved in that, go ahead and, and make sure your friends follow the Instagram page. And then we will announce when we do that giveaway so that you have a chance to win some, some cool uh...
2: little trinkets that we like for when we play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. do you guys see that see what is that those trinkets just an army of trinkets marching towards us on our journey to 100 followers (laughs) guys I'm trying to close out a show here (laughs) I do not appreciate your attitudes (laughs) the problem is Olivia's not used to this so she's like what the not used to literally my worst ways of closing out shows ever
2: anyway guys <laughs> I think it's time
1: to roll
0: initiative.
1: To roll initiative? <laughs> to roll initiative is that where yeah, we're going? It's time to roll initiative. Roll in.